Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Father Ten Boom, God's Man by Corey Ten Boom, with permission of Lighthouse Trails Publishing and the Ten Boom Foundation. And we are in Chapter 10, Father and I. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her welfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. Father was reading Isaiah 40, and it was Sunday afternoon. He always reads the Bible with us after every meal, but on Sunday he would work progressively through Isaiah 40 through 66. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span. I knew it by heart. We heard it three times a year. The cadence of Israel belongs to the Sunday noon. Father's voice read it in a way that made it sound like it really was a poem. Through all the years that we lived together, Father shared my walk with the Lord. I feel so privileged that I look back on the time spent in the Bayet. Our family was an advanced troop in Jesus' army. Jesus was the King of Kings, and Father was one of his captains. When I think back to the time when I was a toddler, I sometimes hear Father say, Be a big girl, don't cry. Then he would take me in his arms, and I would feel his beard tickling my cheek. Walking over to the pictures on the wall as he held me, he would tell me interesting stories to distract my thoughts from my bumped head or skinned knee. Every night before I went to sleep, Father would tuck me in. It was always a private moment for the two of us. I would talk over the events of the day, and I knew that the moment would soon come when he would say, Good night, Coryman. Sleep well. God loves you. Then I would feel his big hand on my face. I wanted to preserve that happy feeling so I did not move. I did not want to lose that comforting touch of my father's big hand. Fifty years later, I lived in a part of the world where waking up and going to sleep were full of danger. I was in the prison of a cruel enemy, and nobody knew what the guards would do to us during the day or night. I would close my eyes at night and say, Heavenly Father, lay your big hand on my little face for a moment. He did, and I would not want to move and lose that comforting touch of my Heavenly Father's hand. Because Father showed his love to me, he trained me to understand something of my Heavenly Father's love. That was preparation for living. If you are the parent of a little child, please show him your earthly love. You will help him to understand our Heavenly Father's love when he needs it. Are your children saved? An evangelist was a guest in our home once, and I heard him asking Father, Mr. Tenboom, are all your children saved? Praise the Lord, yes, all four of them. I can say that by the grace of God. That evening when I was alone with Father, I said, Papa, you said that all four of us were saved. What did you mean by that? He answered with a question. Coryman, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes, Papa, he died for the sins of the whole world, even mine. Do you love the Lord Jesus? I do, Father. You know that. Do you believe that Jesus is in your heart? I know he is. You see, my little girl, that is how I know that you are saved. The Dream I was well aware of my Christian heritage and once had an interesting dream, which I found recorded in a letter to some of my friends. Dear girls, last night I had an interesting dream. The funny thing was, 
All during my dream, I was conscious that these things were happening many, many years before I was born. It was the time when my great-grandfather Garrett was a gardener at the Bernstein estate. Father has often told me about this man's faith, courage, and patriotism. I dreamed I was walking over a street rough with cobblestones. I never had such an interesting adventure. The people I saw wore clothes different from what I had on. Old-fashioned carriages passed me, and I realized I was walking in the time when the Prince of Orange still reigned in our country. I saw an old inn at the side of the road and went in. Men were sitting there with broad-brimmed hats, smoking long pipes and sitting on rough chairs beside windows with small window panes. I did not say anything, but the people seemed to know who I was, and the innkeeper said, That man over there is Master Tinboom. I am sure you are interested in meeting him. My forefather greeted me kindly, but did not seem amazed to see someone who would live a hundred years later. Come with me, he said. My wife will be glad to meet you. Very quickly we were in his kitchen, where great-grandmother was cooking a meal. They sat down at the table to eat, and I sat next to the window. A boy of about ten took off his cap, and they all prayed silently. Is that boy my grandfather, I asked, thought to myself. After the meal, grandfather took his Bible and read a portion. Child, he said, when your time to live comes, much will be different from what you see here around you. But this book will be the same. If anyone undertakes to change it, then know that is wrong. The word of God is the same forever and ever. He took my hand and led me to the garden. I saw how he put some seed into the earth. This seed will give flowers. Before they die, they will give seed. It will go the same with the tin booms. You will exist for many years after I have died. The seed of the gospel message of the Bible brings forth fruit on and on. It will last. This was the end of my dream, but I was strangely moved. I liked what I dreamed about the Bible. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. I was reading the Psalms for the first time. Father, have you the same Bible as I? Yes, girl. All the Bibles have the same books in them. But you have read the Psalms so often for us, and now I read these things I have never heard before. Listen, Daddy. Psalm 37:38. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Father smiled. I remembered his answer. There are many things in the Bible that children cannot yet understand. That is why I do not read them. Father's Bible reading was not just a habit. How he used it to teach us. Where do I belong? As a teenager, I took over many of the household duties while Betsy worked with Father in the shop. My talents in housekeeping are described in a letter I wrote to Betsy and Nolly. First of all, I want to tell you that we're all fine except for Tante Anna, who has a toothache. Tante Bet, who is feeling tired, and Father, who is still not very healthy, and Tante Jans, who did not sleep well, and Mother, who longs terribly for her little daughters, and the cat, who just attacked the dog, of Mr. Lawrence. I started to toast some bread and sat down beside it in order not to forget it. Then I fell asleep. I don't know how long I slept, but when I awakened, there was a terrible stench in the room. There was nothing left of the piece of bread but a pitch-black thing. I left it in its place for a moment, and then I quietly hid it among the old crust. But I was deeply ashamed. Sunday morning in the Tin Boom household meant church, and church often meant freezing for body and soul. 
In the cold cathedral, the only heat came from the foot warmers containing burning coals. But for the faithful believers, missing the spiritual warmth of the long sermons was worse than shivering in the heavy winter overcoats. In the theological world of Holland, there were many different currents of liberalism. Often there were quarrels over doctrine, which left the heads hot and the hearts cold. This situation made it difficult for us children to know what to believe. Father's faith was the solid rock to which we clung. In 1910, I wrote to my brother William, There are so many problems assailing me at this time that I cannot handle them. The interruptions of the liberal pastors sometimes gets me very confused. If I did not have father, I would never manage. Some years later, I sent another letter to William. I feel there are plenty of dangers around us. They cause us to look for reality, for a living faith, some solid point in this ocean of influences. All the time we hear about Christian moral consciousness, denial of man's corrupt nature, and glorifying of man's intellect. In this atmosphere, many ministers are losing ground. Since the official church did not provide the fellowship that our family needed, home prayer meetings became the means of strengthening our ties with fellow Christians and finding spiritual nourishment. Singing for the Lord I was discovering that the one way to avoid confusion is to be very active in serving the Lord. Tante Jans had set us an example with her evangelistic meetings for soldiers. Since both Nolly and I had quite good singing voices, we were once engaged in this gospel work and sang duets in the meetings. My feelings about my life at that time were reflected in another letter to my friends. Dear girls, when I think of my life, it does not seem very important on the outside. I make the breakfast, wash dishes, cook, sew, and in spare moments, I study little Latin grammar as I watch the sputtering meat plan. This is my life at the moment, and I am happy in it. The only thing that casts a shadow is the misery in the world around us. Every week on Tuesday nights, I have a small part in the glorious work of bringing the gospel to several hundred people. I sing at the gospel meeting. Sometimes I stand there with my heart beating wildly and my voice trembling and look only at the book. At at those moments, it's such a comfort to me that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. At other times, especially when Noli and I sing together, my heart beats quite normally and I enjoy singing. When the song has ended and not until then, I look at the people. Then it does not matter if I grow nervous. I read lovingly things in their eyes. William felt very responsible for his sisters in this unusual work. I found a letter that I had written to him. Dear William, on Monday of last week we sang in the military barracks. In order to oppose our efforts, they had not said that an army chaplain was going to speak, but had told the men that a singing comedian would perform. There were about 400 soldiers present when we arrived, and they were not the type that would like a gospel program. When the pastor announced a hymn and distributed songbooks, the soldiers began to howl like wild animals. The pastor prayed, but hardly anyone could hear him, although he had a good, clear voice. Then he asked us to sing, and when we began, it became dead quiet. We sang the whole song, and they really listened. It was so strange and so wonderful, seeing a group of half-devils come under the power of two weak girls. William, as this was going on, we remembered that you did not agree with our doing this. I can understand why you do not like the idea of us on a platform in the middle of such a place, but I am glad we did it. We must not hide our light under a bushel. Although I am not looking for trouble, 
I do all I can when I am called by the Lord. Although I very much enjoyed singing for the gospel meetings, I was not convinced it was proper for a woman to preach. This was an important issue at the church at that time, and I wrote William about my feelings on the matter. Pastor B. sent me a request to preach on December the 12th. I discussed it with Father and followed his advice. I declined the invitation. In the course of evangelists, we did not agree on the question whether the women of our present day may preach or not. Father says it will cause me to lose my femininity. I am 75% in agreement with him, but would like to have your opinion on this. This urge to evangelize, to tell people the glorious message of the gospel, gives me a deep longing to speak out loud in the same way that it is so thrilling to sing out the message in the grout crook as loudly as I can. I eventually changed my mind about the propriety of a woman teaching the gospel. For the time being, I settled for singing and teaching my sister Betsy's Sunday school class when she was out of town. Here is my report to her after my first Sunday school lesson. Oh, Betsy, how I miss you, especially at the Sunday school. The story did not go well. It is high time I started some teacher training. I wanted to explain to the children the meaning of feed my lambs and ask them if they had ever seen a flock of sheep. Yes, I have, said one. My father is a lamb butcher. I began to think of all the skinned sheep their boy's father worked with, and my inspiration vanished. Another boy started to wave his hands enthusiastically every time I used the word fishing, so I had to give him the opportunity to tell what was on his heart. He explained that his father was a fisherman and caught a huge fish, indicating with his arms how big the fish were. This was a signal for all the others to stretch out their arms and tell about the large fish that their fathers, brothers, and uncles had caught. A new career. The time came when Betsy and I switched roles. She'd always worked in the shop while I helped with the housekeeping. Finally, I decided I would like to learn the art of watch repairing, and Father and I talked about it. He was known as the best watchmaker in Holland and had written a booklet about the regulation of the precision watches. His father had taught him all he could, but grandfather was more practiced in the art of clock repair than watch repair. Therefore, he sent his son to Howe, an international known watch repairer, to learn the trade. Father always talked with great respect about his teacher. Girl, he said, I trust that you will become a more apt watch repairer than your father. We were standing in the living room as we had our talk, and Tante Annie overheard us as she came in with a basket full of clean laundry. Casper, she said, If Corey becomes your helper, you will find that she never does one thing at a time. She will be your business associate, plus this and that and the other. She will always be interested in 20 things at once. Father smiled. He had never been too successful with his apprentices. The boys were not always willing to learn, and Father did not know how to teach them the trade. He used them more as errand boys and general helpers. Soon after that talk, I started working with Father. I had my own workbench in the shop, and Father and I became more of a team than ever. Much conversation went on in the shop. Mr. West kept the books of our business in his spare time. He was a sergeant major and always came to the shop in uniform. One day I heard him talking to Father. Yes, but Mr. Tinboom, tell me, what is your yes but this time? I do not feel that I am saved. Does the Bible tell us that we are saved by feelings? No, sir, by faith. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, I have. And what happened then? The Bible says that whosoever believes in the Son has everlasting life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. When Mr. West left, I said to Father, Mr. West had exactly the same yes buts 
as he had last week and two weeks ago. I think you have a lot of patience. Girl, doesn't the Lord have a lot of patience with me and with you? That evening I had difficulty repairing a very small watch, and just when it was almost ready, I broke apart. Papa, please help me. I've broken the balance of the watch. You know there's nobody in the world I would rather help than my own daughter, was his kind answer. I had to go back to him three times. I'm so sorry, Papa, but I've broken it again. Give it to me and I will help you. Papa, where did you get your patience? Girl, we have a privileged job. There's nothing like watch repairing for learning patience. And don't forget that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Father was an artist in his trade, but making money was not his strongest point. There were some ways in which I could give him advice. Papa, why do you close the shop windows in the evenings? Far more people walk through the Bjordstadt at that time than during the day. I never thought of that. Go ahead. Whenever you see a way to improve the business, do it. I saw that our stock of watches and clocks were insufficient, and I brought more than Father had ever purchased. Soon he left that side of the business in my hands. It went better than before, but what a lot of money problems we had to solve. Prayer with all the workers in the morning helped us to cast our burdens on the Lord, and during the day, we often went to the living room and had a short extra prayer session with the rest of the family. Shortly after I started to work in the shop, I realized I needed extra training. Papa, too often when a broken watch is brought in, I have to ask you or the watchmaker what the problem is. I'd like to know more about the insides of the watch. But in those days, the only place where watchmaker schools existed was in Switzerland. How could Father ever afford to send me there? And the next chapter 11 is Switzerland. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.